We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Take a look here at Drew read to you out of the uh, coordinating text of Matthew. I want to turn just keep in keeping with our study in Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. Let me tell you what this is about. This is about possibly the most... Uh, phenomenal miracle that Jesus did, the walking on the water. Uh, Randy Travis, years ago, sang a song about his grandfather, and it simply was, I thought he walked on water. Randy didn't have to stop and explain what that meant. Everybody knows what that meant. Uh, It is maybe the most dramatic of all miracles Uh, because it's doing something that you would expect God to do if he became a man, is to walk on water. And when you're talking about his healing, his compassionate miracles, you, you see those and you're amazed, but many of us have never been physically blind or deaf or whatever, but all of us have found ourselves in storms. All of us have found ourselves out of our pay grade in life where we couldn't make it. And someone was going to have to come a running to get us out of it. And so this miracle uh, needs not be, it's kind of like the prodigal son, the good Samaritan walking on water. Everybody knows what that means. You stay with me right here because this is part of the training of the 12. The one you saw two weeks ago was the feeding of the 5,000 because this was lesson one in the training of the 12. I'm going to use you to do what I did. You are going to feed the multitude as a good shepherd, but you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it, but the crowd's not going to see me. They're going to see you. Because in just a few months, that was going to be the scenario. Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise. He's going to ascend. And you won't see him anymore. But you will see his men. And the power that he does is now the power that they will do. And so that's lesson one. You're going to be a servant to Israel. Twelve baskets, twelve tribes. And I'm going to do a miracle through you. The Apostle Paul said, working together with him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're working with God. So that's lesson one. Lesson two is about storms at sea. Because these 12 men are now going to, quote, head to, verse 45, the other side. They're going to go to the Gentile world. And storms are going to follow. Oh, gracious. You ever read the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches at Pentecost there at Jerusalem. Men believe. Acts 3, he preaches again after the miracle of the healing of the paralytic. And men believe again. And it says the number came to be 5,000. See also the feeding of the 5,000. So we see 5,000 believe. And then in chapter 4, the 12 are arrested. And they are brought before the Sanhedrin. And they are told, speak no more in this name. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. Chapter uh, 5, we're going to see them stand before the Sanhedrin. And we're going to see them beaten, flogged. Chapter 7, Stephen is going to die. And so when you look at the book of Acts, you see the feeding of the 5,000. And then you see storms at sea. Uh, Arrest, that's hard. Warning, that's hard. Flogging and death, that's harder. And so this is what's going to follow these men. And so as a result, Jesus is going to arrange a test. If you'll look in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. That word made 
Commentators point out that it's a strong word in the Greek. It means literally compelled. He said, I want you, because you're going to leave without him. I want you guys to get in the boat and leave. Are you getting in it with us, Christ? No, I'm not. Well, we're not about to go. Yes, you are. Because I'm about to do something with you. Would you tell us? No, just wait. But get in the boat. And also because this occurs, if you want to read another gospel about the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark's, I'm sorry, in John 6. Because in John 6, whenever he fed the 5,000, the crowd was so moved, it says they wanted to make him king. Do you know that? And Jesus said, no, no, he refused it. Because the reason they wanted to make him king was physical perks, meals on wheels. You give us all of these perks, what else can you do? And he said, no, you make me king because I am the final prophet of God bringing you truth and calling you to repentance. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Is it possible for men and women to join up in church and to become, quote, Christians because of an anticipation of prosperity? Yeah, and we're not gonna do that. And so he withdrew. And you can imagine the response of him saying no to this crowd. And now he compels them to leave. While he goes up, it says on verse 46, he left for the mountain to pray. Y'all go this way, I'm gonna go this way. And I'm going to go up and I'm going to pray. Now, what do you think he prayed for? He prayed for them. And the reason he does is because he knows what's coming. Here in just a little bit, you men are going to head up the greatest um, work of God on earth that has ever been seen. And you're going to do it sight unseen without me. And you're going to have to trust me. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to send you out and I'm going to create a test for you. I'm going to put you in a place that you are in the necessity of divine intervention. I'm going to create a lab-controlled experiment. I'm going to do a microcosm of what the ministry is going to be. You're going to be heading out in ministry, and you're going to find yourself in adversarial conditions. Is that true for Christians? I'm going to put you in adversarial, frightening, life-threatening conditions. I'm going to take you as fishermen that have a pride in your talent and your mastery of the sea, and I'm going to go outside your ability. I'm going to put you where nothing can help you. All of your talent, all of your friends is going to be to no avail in you. And you're going to have to trust me, sight unseen, that I know where you are. Even though you can't see me, that I see you. And even though you can't handle this, I can handle it. And even though you're alone, I can find you. And even though it's dark, I'll know right where you are. And I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to come by you. And I'm going to see if you have gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, if you've really learned. Let me tell you something about the ministry. It's real easy in Christian ministry to become mechanical, to where you do the things you're supposed to do to get the desired results, and that can't be the basis of your ministry. You have to be astonished utterly at Jesus. You have got to revere him You've got to fear him. You have got to be in awe of him to do ministry. And so I want to see if you really learned from the feeding of the 5,000. Because we can't go on unless you do. You have to know that I am the son of God and I can do anything. And you're never at a position that I can't reach you. Because here in just a little bit, Peter, you're going to find yourself chained between 
two squadrons of guards behind two gates and they're going to kill you the next morning. And I've got to know that you can take a nap when that happens. Paul, you're going to find yourself and Tommy, Doug, Charles, you're going to find yourself sometimes in a place where you're in desperate need of divine intervention. And I've got to know that you can trust me. And so into the boat they go. Here's the test in verse 47. When it is evening, as a matter of fact, it's three o'clock in the morning. As my mother would say, nothing good happens at three o'clock in the morning. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's the dead of night. And a train is coming. <laughs> and the boat was in the middle of the sea. You're far from human help. You dig? You're far from people being able to do anything to help you. And you are in the dark of night. You're at a hard place at a hard time. And he is alone on the land. You're spiritually being stretched because you can't see me. The only thing you can see is the problem. Have y'all ever been there? Where all you can see are circumstances, stances, circa, stuff around you like a cyclone. You ever been caught in a tornado? Kendall, you're from Oklahoma. Where are you? What? Is that a pink shirt? I was just wondering. Okay. And so verse 48, and seeing them, you know what the Greek says? Your Bible says straining at the oars. The Greek says seeing them harassed in rowing. You ever been harassed in rowing? Where you're trying to do to get to the other side and all of a sudden, all of the winds turn against you. Can that ever happen? Where everything all of a sudden turns against you. And you want to say like Job, that God has made me his target and just put me on the wall with a bullseye. That's what he felt like. And in verse 48, the wind was against them. Life changed all of a sudden. The Sea of Galilee, let me tell you something about it. It sits down among, uh, they call them mountains. They're hills, all right. <laughs> but they're big hills. And uh, at nighttime, the uh, warm air begins to rise, okay. And through these valleys, the winds can come whooping through there. And the Sea of Galilee can get turned into a, uh, a cauldron really quickly. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny because it's called the Sea of Chinnereth. That was the name that it's called, the Sea of Chinnereth. Uh, Chinnereth means a harp, H-A-R-P, a harp. Because when you look down on the Sea of Galilee, it looks like a harp. And so it's a pleasant, beautiful place that all of a sudden can be a place of death. Can life be that way? Such a pleasant place, then all of a sudden things can turn around on you. Well, that's life. It's unpredictable. Ecclesiastes 9.1, all men are in the hand of God. Anything awaits them, whether good or evil. You don't know, and you can't control life. And these men are professionals, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And this is their home court. This is their backyard. This is where they live. They can point Capernaum, Bethsaida. This is where we live. This is where we do our work. I've been here before, but all of a sudden there's something that is outside of my ability and I can't handle it. Can life do that on you? Where I have been so comfortable where I am and then all of a sudden in my business, in my home, in my country, 
in my prostate, <laughs> in my spleen, in my heart, in this valve, in this aorta, in this brain bleed, when all of a sudden something happened when they found this lump, they found this mass, when there was a shadow on that x-ray. Sir, could you sit down? When they tell you that, always make sure that you got a family member with you, and the one who has their clothes on needs to be taking notes. Because if you don't have your clothes on, you're not listening. You dig? You're not listening. When they say, have a seat, we found a mass, we don't know if it's carcinogenic, but we will. At that point, we don't know if it's cancer. You're not listening anymore. And that's why you need a clothed mate right there, because you're not listening. And so that's where these men are. They're beyond their ability. And that's the way life can do. All of a sudden. I went from the happiest moment of feeding the 5,000. I was a miracle doer. Jesus gave me a strange command. Get in the boat and leave. What? Yeah. How are you going to get there? Don't worry. I'll get there. I'll find you. Okay. And so you head off. Well, in verse 48, and at the fourth watch, it's now three to six in the morning. In the dark of night, when do they always say it's before the dawn, it's darkest before the dawn, he came to them. Circle that and speak in tongues because it's marvelous. I'm kidding. Okay. He came to them. You know what that means, Doug? That means you don't know where I am, but I know where you are. You're scared, and I know you're scared. You can't find me, but I can find you. You can't get to me, but I can get to you. Uh, you haven't even prayed, but I know what you're thinking, and I'm there. How many of you, when you're sitting there in your bed at night, and you hear your kid, a little kid, roll over, in the bed with an unaccustomed crinkle on the mattress and the mother is up, not the father. <laughs> the father can sleep through a company of Marines coming through, but the mother is up because she hears something that's alien, something's foreign. There was a cough that I didn't like. There was a a gurgle that I didn't like. There was a sound that was unaccompanied to me. And I'm up and I'm coming. Now that's the way that Jesus was right here. I'm up and I'm coming. Well, it says in verse 48, he came to them walking on the sea. The miracles of the New Testament will generally have an accompaniment in the Old Testament, but a little more dramatic, except for this one. Nobody, no Elijah, no Moses, nobody walks on the sea. The only one in the Old Testament that walks on the sea is it says that God treads upon the waves. That's it. Only God can do this. And so, you ever been in a place that you've said that not even God can help me? Not here. You're never in a place that God can't help you. I'm there. And so he comes to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by. That's puzzling. Commentators have pointed out that the only time this phrase, intending to pass by, occurs was when Moses said, I would like to see God. I want to see you. And God says, no, you don't. No one can look at on me and live, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you on a rock 
in the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll pass by, and you will see my back going by. That's all you need to see. In Jesus, we look upon the face of God. And so I'm going to pass by because this is God showing up. And this is how you discover God, is you look upon him by getting in a place that demands the necessity of divine intervention. One of the ladies on our staff went through breast cancer a while back. And uh, I asked her, I said, what's it like? I've never been there. And I said, now you're clean, so to speak. You're, everything's okay. And she said to me, I miss the nearness. And I said, what do you mean? She said, when you're in a place where only God can deal with it, uh, and you do all that medicine can do, but it's, it's something that's out of your control, she said, there is a, that God draws near in a way that you've never known. And she said, I miss the intimacy of God. I miss the blessing of cancer. <laughs> you ever said that? I miss the blessing of cancer. This is when you discover God. James 4, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Well, the, uh, the response they have You'll see it in verse 49. This is how we do. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it's a specter. The Jews had a belief that if you saw a spirit at night, you were going to die. That was their belief. They saw him coming in the night and they cried out because that's our first response to extreme duress. God is out to kill me. You ever read the book of Job? His buddies, obviously God doesn't like you because this is happening to you. Job said this shouldn't be happening to me because God does like me. I can't understand this. And so our first response is God is out to get me. What have I done? Teresa, what have you done? that God would smite me like this. When I went through that clinical depression I went through that hit me out of nowhere, I remember just standing there and walking back in my life sequentially, day by day, trying to find where it was that I did wrong. Now, I know better than that but why did I do something so inane? I'm a human, and that's the way that we do. What did I do wrong? And so it's said that when trial comes, the way we deal with it is mad, sad, and glad. First we get mad, and then we're sad. Then we trust God, and we're glad. And so they get, mad, they get scared. God is out to kill me. What have I done? And then in verse... 50, they all saw him and they were terrified and immediately he spoke and said, take courage, don't be afraid, it's me. All you need to know is that I'm here. What are you going to do? You don't need to know that. Why did you do that? You don't need to know that. All you need to know is... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art near me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You're here, and that's all I need to know, that you are here with me. And so, take courage, it is I. The Apostle Paul was in Jerusalem early in his conversion. He had been chased out of Damascus. He comes to Jerusalem, and it says in Acts, Paul is reciting his testimony. He said, I was praying in the temple, and there all of a sudden, he said, God appeared to me. Jesus appeared to me in a trance. 
and said, get out of Jerusalem. They are going to kill you. And Paul said, he argued, Lord, they know that this isn't me. Something's happened to me. They know that I'm not, that, that I've been touched by God. And God said, no, they don't. And so in a difficult time, when tough times were coming, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you can endure it. I'm there. And so he's there. Later on, Paul is in uh, Corinth, which is like preaching in Austin. Okay, I'll just leave it right there. I mean, it's naked people running around. And Paul is preaching among the philosophers. And God said, do not be afraid. Go on preaching. No man will harm you because I have many people in this place. The elect are here. I've got a purpose and I'll take care of you. When Paul was in, uh, uh, on a prison ship, he said, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong appeared to me and said, do not fear, I am with you and I will take you through this and I will give you all that are on this ship. By their approximation to you, they will be saved also. And Paul started the church in Malta there because of that. And so Peter in that uh, prison, Christ comes to him. And so God knows, Spurgeon used to say that God is the good physician and the physician knows how much you can take. And he's there. Whenever I went through that depression, I had a book called Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon went through extreme physical, emotional duress in his life. He was the pastor. His widow said that liberalism killed him. That it was in his day you saw the phenomena of people attacking the Bible, trying to discredit it. And you saw Christians in seminaries give in to that and begin to inculcate in Christianity a liberal view of a denial of inerrancy and the supernatural. And you saw a new brand of Christianity, a supernatural-less Christianity. And he had old Baptist friends that got enlightened and turned on him. And his widow said that it killed him. And so he had morning and evening, and I would read it every evening. And I would read through those and just see this guy went there. He had been there before. And so God says, I'm with you. I know what you're going through, and I'm right here. Well, to see that what's going to happen here, uh, in verse 51, he got into the boat. There's something here. And remember, the gospel of Mark is, Mark was not an apostle. Mark was uh, nurtured by an apostle. Peter speaks of, quote, 1 Peter 5, my son, Mark. Peter taught Mark. Mark leaves out a part of the text, and it's Peter's coming to him on the winds and waves, and Peter's sinking. Can't imagine why Peter would have said to Mark, you don't want to put that in there. It's kind of like I forbid Kendall to write my biography, you know, something like that. And so look back here in Matthew chapter 14, just, and this is why I had Drew read to you, Matthew 14 and verse 28. And Peter said to him, because first you see that it's, you're terrified and then you hear him say, it's me. And that's all you need to know. I do no wrong. I make no mistakes. I never apologize. It's me. And I'm here with you. That's all that you need to know. I'm here, right here. And so in verse 28, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter knows 
if this really is Christ, he will not let me sink. If it's you, then tell me to come to you. You won't let me sink. Peter has learned something. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He's with me. This man will not drop me. Uh, my buddy Keith Chancy up at Canicut, they have rappelling. The kids rappel, leap off the side of a mountain with a rope while somebody's going to be holding it. And Keith said uh, the way he gets them to do it is they get to pick the guy that holds the rope. You get to pick them. And it's generally like a family member or their father or Keith or the biggest kid there. You hold it. Casper, you don't get to hold it. All right. Poindexter, you don't get to hold it. But you get to hold it. And so that's kind of the way I'll do it, but I have to know you're there. And so if it's you, bid me come. And secondly, Peter knows your power can be my power. You cannot merely do this, but I can do this, even though I've never done it before. Did y'all hear that bit of brilliance? Even though I've never had to do this before, I can do this. Because when you get into a place like this, the reason it's scary is because you've never been here before. And I've got to believe that you can take me over this. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You can take me to a place I've never been. What is your name, Lord? Because they're going to ask me what your name is, and I don't know what I'm going to tell them. That was Moses. I've never been here before. Well, you bid me come, and I can do this. I'm scared. I've never done this. No one's ever done this, but I can do this because you're here. And then, uh, verse 29, come, come. This is how you discover God. When you want to know God, this is the way you discover him, is you trust him with things you don't understand. You trust him in places you've never been you trust him to do things you've never had to pray about. I've never had to pray about this, but I'm going to pray, God, that you can take me through this. And so, in verse, and here's a big one here, in verse 29, he said, come, and Peter, what's the next five words? They're terrifying. Got out of the boat. The Greek says he got out of the boat. The Latin says he got out of the boat. It means that you put yourself in a position of God, you better be there. And I think Peter knows if he can't take care of me, then I need to die. I don't want to live in a world that he can't take care of me. And so Peter got out of the boat. And the rest of this is called in hermeneutics, hermeneutical landmarks. Uh, anybody can see them. You almost don't have to preach on them. They're, they're embarrassingly simple. It's about 10 things that you can't miss them. And number one in verse 29, he came toward Jesus. You come toward him. You let this pain do something that nothing else has ever done. You come toward him. You pray and you seek him and you move to him. And then number two, but seeing the wind, he took his eyes, it's so blatant, he took his eyes off of the solution and he put his eyes on the problem. Can that ever happen? Yeah. No longer does he see Christ. He sees circumstance. 
Paul said, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known to the whole Praetorian Guard and everybody else. Paul said, I'm so glad I'm in jail. And so he sees the problem. And then in verse 30, beginning to sink. That's a miracle right there. You ever begin to sink? I want you to try this in your bathtub. Fill it full. Mike Pilate, are you with me? <laughs> Linda, you need to film this. Okay, I want to see it. And then you step off on the water and see if you begin to sink. You are going to sink right there. But one uh, teacher said one time, he said, God controls your failure. I'm so glad this is here because when I read this, I go, this is me looking at the problem, starting to sink and screaming, Lord, save me. If it had said, and Peter looked at him and began to dance a Jewish jig and frittered across the ocean laughing as he went, I would say, that's not me. This is me. This is what I do as I begin to sink. And Jesus saith unto him, fool, you're a dead man if you're not going to trust me. He doesn't say that. Aren't you glad? He says, seeing the wind, he became frightened, and you can be, and beginning to sink, and now he cries out. First he cries out, it's a ghost. Now he cries out, Lord. And so he's about to become extremely astute on Christology, that you are God. And so he cries out. And that's what you do. When you see your faith failing, you cry out, Lord, save me. That's a very short prayer. You can't lose any word or the whole prayer is lost. Lord, save me. Well, Lord, save me. And what's the first word in verse 31? Immediately. And by God, immediately, utheos is John Mark's favorite word. Immediately, Jesus immediately grabs him. I'm right here. When you're weak, I'm strong. And I'm going to pick you up. How do you hold a man up with one hand? A big fisherman. But he can. Come on up. You're okay. It's like a little boy with his father. Come on up. Did, did Peter at times have problems, you think? with pride and physical ability. When you try to cut people's heads off, that's always a problem. Okay. Well, we've got Peter at a place that I can train you now. Now I've got you. And so immediately he stretched out his hand and took hold of him. I don't think he took Peter's hand. I think he grabbed Peter by the nap of the neck, okay? I don't think Peter, I think Peter was flailing and Jesus grabbed him and just held him up right here. When I work out my mighty persona in a gym, you should all see it, it's a thing of beauty. You do deltoid work with like 20s, that's all. Peter's probably a 200 pound Jewish guy and Jesus does a one-arm deltoid. Just lifts him up. That's pretty strong right there. I got you. Just by the nap of the neck. Okay. And in verse 31, he addresses the thing that he's most concerned about, and that is his heart. You of little faith, why did you doubt? He is more concerned with these people's hearts than he is with their ministry. I've got to get your heart. Why did you doubt me? You know who I am. If I said we're going to the other side, then we're going to go to the other side. I didn't say let's go out in the middle of the, of the ocean and, and, and sink. I said let's go to the other side. And so I'm going to take care of you. And so verse 32 Peter now, it says, when they got into the boat, I'll assure you, when they walked back to the boat together, I'll assure you what Peter was looking at, and it was Jesus. He didn't take his eyes off of him. 
So you let this bring you into a deeper understanding and a deeper closeness and, a real, and a, an experience. When you get great men and great women and you talk to them, they can all tell you stories of how God took me through different things. God cared for me. And so in verse 32, they got into the boat. Now he gets into the boat with you. Chuck Smondahl wrote a book on this called God of My Rocking Boat. I'm going to get in there with you. Okay. And then the wind stopped. When the trial has done its job and exposed your weakness and my need, my ability to take care of you, then the trial is over. How many miracles does Jesus do over the winds, the waves, the fish, feeding people, miraculous drafts? He can even have one fish bite one hook with one coin in his mouth and pull him up. He does miracles over everything. How come fishing and fish? Because his four leading men are fishermen. And I have to show you that you have no area that you really know about. I know fish. I know a fish. I know catching fish. I know cooking fish, feeding fish. I know fish. I know winds and I know waves. And so you think you're an expert, but you're not. I'm an expert. And so they got into the boat and now it's over. It served its purpose. And verse 33, the result, they worshiped. You are certainly God's son. Go back here to Mark and verse 52, they had not gained insight. Now these men are deepened, unlike they have ever been in life. They are deepened. Isn't that a good story? I told this at the men's conference, and I'll tell it again, uh, because this is what I went through. Back in about 19, oh, mid 80s. I remember about 84. I remember thinking it was like George Orwell's book, 1984, which is a horror novel. That I went through a hard time in my ministry. I had built Bible into some guys. I had taught them everything that I had learned from seminary. But I had a desire to learn the stuff so I could minister. They learned it so they could be better debaters. And as a result, I built kind of a tower that fell over. And I almost quit the ministry. Almost did and went after the big money to go coach Texas high school football. <laughs> you laughing, Mike? <laughs> I almost did. Because I just said, you know, I gave it my best shot, and I just completely failed. And so I went over to Ireland. I had a buddy that uh, was from there, and he was going over. I said, I'll go with you. That's unlike me. At Denton Bible, on our missionary trips, we have the Tommy Nelson High Maintenance Award. I don't travel well, okay. But I, when we flew our, over to Shannon Ireland with our bicycles, and we biked through Ireland, across Ireland to Dublin, took a ferry over to Larne, Scotland, biked in Scotland, went up to uh, uh, Glasgow, and then took a train down to London. And so we just biked, and, and I took an Old Testament with me to read. And I took, I'd memorized a lot of the New Testament, so I would ride and, and recite. All just silent for about three weeks. Ireland is like a, every bend is like a postcard. You ever see the movie, A Quiet Man? John Wayne, everything's a postcard. And so I just rode and looked. And we would camp at night, and... Uh, I would just think and pray. And the verse that I kept pondering on the whole time was when Joseph saith unto his brothers, draw closer. He shows him that he is the Redeemer. And I'm going to forgive you. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He sent me before you to keep a people alive. This has a purpose. And the brothers are terrified. And he says, come closer, come closer. And it said, and he talked with them. We don't know what went on. He said, come closer. 
And I just kind of pondered on that. Come closer. Come closer. And uh, we were in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I thought to myself, I want to see a Scottish Calvinist Presbyterian church. So I got up in that Sunday morning, and uh, Sunday morning, I put on my best socks, okay, and got on my bike, and I rode just looking for any Presbyterian church, and I found one, and it had soot all on the outside of it, just a little place on the back streets. I remember I, I encountered my first roundabout. You ever been to a roundabout on a bicycle in a foreign country? And I went around the other way. And a cop pulled me over. I noticed your little maneuver. Yes, sir. I gave him my best Texan. Yeah, I did. Where are you from? Texas. Do you know J.R.? I said yes, Everybody back in this wanted to know if you knew J.R. And so he let me off, and I made it to this little church. And it was really weird. Never had it happen before since. I went into the church, and there were 17 people. I counted them. That's all. And they were all like over 160. They were ancient. They were 17. You could hear them down. Oh, oh, 15. All right, the one's gone right there. And as soon as I walked in, the organist was playing, like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious, in all of life's, life's increase. And I just, I heard it, and I just teared up. Kendall? Okay. Just teared up. And sat in the back, and they would sing a song, and it would just strike me, because it was like I was home. I was with my people. I was with my people. And then this pastor got up. This old fellow had to sit on a stool. And he opened his Bible. There's one of them great big old Bibles your mama gives you. You know, the choke a mule. And I just went. <laughs> and he read the Bible. And then he said, our text this morning will be from the book of Genesis. And Joseph saith unto his brothers, draw closer. That was the text. Draw. I've never heard the text preached before. I've never heard it preached since. But he preached it. I'm convinced that was the only church on the face of the earth that anybody was preaching that text that morning. And God just said, I'm going to take you across the ocean on a bicycle up here in a roundabout, going on a little maneuver the wrong way. And I'm going to put you here, and I'm going to show you my presence. I'm going to make you cry, and this guy's going to get up, and I don't remember what he said. I wasn't listening. All I heard him do was read. And Joseph saith unto his brothers, draw closer. And I really lost it there. <laughs> oh, God. Ugly, right? <laughs> That guy went home that morning. His wife said, how'd you do? Oh, I slew the yank in the back row. <laughs> I don't think he'd ever heard anyone quite like me. I cried. And you know, it was like God just said, I know where you are. That's all I needed to know. I need to know that you know where I am. I know where you are. I came back and the wind stopped. And it was right at that point. Matter of fact, I, I did a conference with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And right at that time, I met some guys. Texas, from A&M, from Austin College, from wherever, that were got zealous and I built into those guys. Matter of fact, one of them is here this morning. A little defensive back, a Palestinian in Sherman, Texas, played safety for Austin College. Now he's a pastor up in New Hampshire named Foad Ferris. Are you here, Foad? Foad. Fofo, Daniel. Oh, my man. Came to see me. Did y'all know that? 
Foad, right at that time, you guys stepped in and it caught me. And uh, that was a blessed time. And so draw closer, just draw closer. He's there. And then you just wait on him, just wait on him. You know, when Adam was created, God was his all. Satan said, you can run life without him. And he died. And what has to happen is called a reconnection. And man can't do it. God has to become one of us, tell us he's coming, then come. And then die for what we did, rise for what we didn't. And then violate our will by coming into us, calling us to himself, converting us, and illumining us to him. And the way that happens usually isn't because we sit down and we're so smart we figure it out. It's generally a storm by which God comes. Psalm 77, thy way is holy, O God, but thy way is in the sea. Someday, Father, there will be no mourning, crying, tears, nor pain. But that time is not now. And Lord, we know that we can't handle too much blessing. Blessing ruins us. We need struggles. But they are so infrequent that when they occur, we think you're a specter. And so this is how you do the training of the 12. As you guys launch out to do ministry in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, you're not going to see me, but I see you, and I know where you are. I think of when my boys would cry out in the night, and Teresa would go in there, and I'd hear her say, it's mama, I'm here, I'm here. And that's all we need to know. If I know that you know, then I'm okay. And so, not if, Lord, but when these times come, that you would find us daring to draw near. Even when we begin to sink, you control that. When we cry out, you're there, and we grab you. And you just pull us up, you take us into the boat, and you're there with us. And immediately we're at the shore, because now the winds turn around, and everything becomes Walden Pond. Thank you, in Jesus' name.